Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. We have a special morning this morning. We are going to have some baptisms. First service, we're going to be practicing both ordinances, baptism and communion. First service will be baptism. Second service will be communion. And those are the two ordinances that we see in Scripture that we hold to. But before we get to the baptisms, I am going to preach. And I'm going to be speaking on a topic that I've shared in glimpses, but I've never deliberately spoken on this one topic. We right now are going through a series called Feasting on the Word. And what we are holding on to is this whole idea of the lectionary. The lectionary is the the writings of Scripture where, where over 400 years ago, they mapped out how to get through the Bible in a year and how to do it in a way where you're reading the Old Testament, New Testament, and Gospels. And so even this morning when I was reading the lectionary, one of the passages... And the one that I'm reading on this morning was one of the passages that I read. And so we we challenged all those who would be preaching, because there's going to be multiple preachers this summer, which allows me to get ready for the fall, to either A, take a passage from the lectionary, or B, something that God has really put on your heart, that you've been studying on your own, so we can hear what God is doing deeply in you, so that we can hear as well. Because we believe that God speaks in community. Amen? And so, let's do this. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 86. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to jump down to verses 14 through 17. And I want to encourage you, like both Omar and Pastor Paul have done, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 86. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord. For I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent heart. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you will answer me. Jump down to verse 14. Oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. But you, but you, oh Lord God of compassion and mercy, Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant 
Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favor. Then those who hate me will be put to shame. For you, O Lord, help and comfort me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, when I pulled on campus this morning, there was a sweetness on this campus. And God, I ask you that there would be this sweetness in this room this morning. God, our worlds are, are so rushed. We run around, we, we drive our children everywhere, we rush from job to job, project to project. We rush from celebration to celebration. We rush from sorrow to sorrow. God, I don't even believe we know how to celebrate well, let alone how we grieve well. And God, I ask you today that you would use your word, not the word that I chose, but the word you chose for this morning to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I hope the reading of the word was refreshing to you. There's so many key words in that passage. What we see is that this is a psalm, and it's a psalm of David. When you read psalms, you will realize that the vast majority of the psalms are written by David and then just a couple other authors. But the vast majority of them are written by David. And when you read the psalms, you can often take 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and align the different psalms. So let me give you some examples. Psalm 23 is a reflection of learning what God's shepherding heart is. You see that when David started leading the people of God, he wrote Psalm 23 and he said, just as you lead me, teach me to lead others. Teach me to lead others, not only in the way that I will lead them in a military way, but teach me to lead them to know your heart. Psalm 30, 31 is a reflection when he had to flee from Saul. And we see that there's several of the early, early psalms that, that David was hiding in a cave, fleeing from Saul. And David would write down all of his thoughts. And they weren't just thoughts, but when you look at psalms, what you see is that every single psalm David wrote was a prayer. You see, Psalm 42, David was unable to the re return to the temple. And in Psalm 42, there's this, this sorrow that he can't get back to the temple yet. And so he prays to God, God, let me get back there. Let me do the work that you've called me to in the temple. You look at Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 we see is that the psalm that David had written right after he was convicted of his sin with Bathsheba and his child had passed away. And we see this deep sorrow in Psalm 51. You see, when you look at the psalms, there's always this alignment. Some, psalm 119, and I love this psalm, Psalm 119. I would challenge you to read it this week. It's, it's the longest psalm out there. Psalm 119 was a psalm, which was not a prayer, really one of his only non-prayer psalms that was written to his son Solomon to teach him how to follow the ways of God. Daddies, have you given your kids written instructions how to follow Jesus. When all my boys turned 12, I had 12 
friends, write them letters how to follow Jesus. All three of my sons. Because like, like David did for, Saul, for, for Solomon in a psalm, my goal is that I would give my children instructions on how to follow the ways of Jesus. But it's interesting because when you look at this psalm, Psalm 86, there's only a few that there's no context. And so as you look at this psalm, what you see is that, that this was a moment a moment for David where he was just crying out to, saw, to, to God about, about what was deeply on his heart. And there's a word. We like to say grieving. That David was grieving. But there's also a, a holy word. A word that we've seen kind of pop out of nowhere over the last three years. That's a word that's for our, how we intellectually think about grieving and how we emotionally deal with grieving, which is called lamenting. Remember when COVID-19 hit? Everyone talked about lamenting. I mean, everywhere you turn. I've never heard Christians use the word lament more than during COVID-19, during the pandemic, during all the racial tension. There was this word that not only the, the Christian world used, but the secular world was using, saying, how do we learn to lament? And this word lament means to be full of sorrow to grieve. It's a passionate expression of, of what's deeply going on in our hearts. We feel anxious, scared, and we don't know what to do. Have you ever lost someone that you love really, really deeply and you don't know how to express it? I'll never forget when Mark Shishmanian passed away, Nairi's father, I didn't know what to do. I prayed for healing. I met with him regularly. I'll never forget, right before he passed away, he had a brain tumor. And he said, Rob, whatever you do in this church, don't ever stop talking about healing. Let my pain, let my death be the seed of hope. And I remember that morning, the morning before the funeral, I literally laid in my living room and I curled up in a ball and I was bawling like a baby. And my little puppy at the time named Jake just saw me literally lay, laying there crying and weeping and Jake just walked up to me and he just kind of put his body against mine. And he just sat there with me. It was almost like God saying, I see you, I'm with you. How are you going to learn to grieve this out? And I'll be honest with you that, that we don't know how to grieve. We don't know how to express our anxiety that, that's coming from, from different sources. And we as the church are the worst. You look at scripture and there is teachings that we read all throughout scriptures how the people of God had to grieve. Because if we don't learn to lament... If we don't learn to grieve properly, it's only going to come up and bite us again. You notice that? You ever notice that when you've gone through pain and sorrow and, you, and you've never fully processed it, that the ne next time you either kind of try to push it down, but then it kind of bites you even harder. And what I love about this psalm is that, that we don't understand the context, but rather it's saying, what's happening? 
How are you going to handle the things that you are grieving in your life? And I'll get to the point of what David was grieving, but, but as I thought about this psalm, I thought about what are the three major things that we lament? First, we lament self. We lament self. We have sorrow, anxiety, grief, and pain over choices that we have made. We look at our lives. I'm 50 years old now. And I look back and there's so many things that I celebrate, but there are actually moments that I have deep regret. My greatest regret was the greatest day of my life. I was 19 years old. It was the day that I came to Jesus. And literally that day, I never had more joy and more sorrow at the same time. I had such joy because I literally heard the Spirit of God say, I'm giving you a do-over. A do-over. But I grieved because I had seven Division I colleges wanting me to play football from them. But because of my poor choices, I was unable to sign a scholarship. And I remember that day just being the greatest day and the worst day because it was the greatest day where God's like, I'm going to redeem this. But it was the worst day because all of the pain that I was carrying saying, wow, I have to start completely over. And oftentimes what we do in, in our lamenting is that we don't allow ourselves to get to that place where we say, God, can you start from the bottom? And rebuild every single aspect of me. What about circumstances? First, we grieve self. Second, we grieve circumstances. Circumstances that have happened to us or circumstances that we have chosen to participate in. And oftentimes, we, we only grieve the things that have happened to us. Why? So we can blame others. Don't we love to blame others? Can I get a jersey amen? Don't we love to blame others? Do I get a jersey amen? Right? We love to blame others. But one of the things that I love about reading the Psalms of David, especially Psalm 51, is that David does such a beautiful job of taking responsibility for his actions. One of the biggest circumstances I've ever had to grieve. Young couple good Christian friend comes to me and says, hey man, I know how to help your mortgage. And it was a true thing that was going on nationally. This low, low interest rate, it was like 0% for seven years with an arm and all these things and you refinance at a certain time and, and I'm young, little kids trying to do ministry in Bergen County, which is, is so hard as a young couple. Next thing you know, about a year and a half later, he calls me and goes, hey man, I need to apologize. I'm like, about what? He goes, the mortgage. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you haven't seen? You haven't looked at your bill? My mortgage jumped over $30,000 in a year and a half. It was a scam. It was a national scam that good, wholesome people jumped into. And I remember that night walking outside, feeling like I failed her. I failed her. I failed her. And I failed my children. Now this house that we just built, we have to sell. 
and I grieved. And I don't know if I ever fully grieved him. So what do we do? What do we grieve? What do we lament? Self, circumstances, and others. How many of you have ever lost a friend? Anyone? Emotionally lost a friend. Relationally lost a friend, right? How many of us have ever been in such a great friendship where all of a sudden things have happened that you do not talk to them anymore? And every time you call them, they will not call you back. Or maybe there's so much pain because we are only hurt by those we love deeply. Amen? We are only hurt by those we love deeply. There are several people in my life that others have hurt me. People who have come into the church. People who have tried to attach themselves to, to my wife and myself. People who have tried to, to really kind of coddle up to, to who we are as a family. When we planted the church, we had this one couple, and this guy came up to me. He's like, hey, man, tell your kids to call me uncle. I'm like, dude, I don't even really know you. He's like, no, seriously, I'm here for you. I have your back. Okay, I want to go into ministry. I'm a doctor, but I know God is calling me to something else. I'm like, I'll, I'll trust the relationship. We have the most amazing friendship. Then one day, completely out of the blue, he tried to divide this church and start his own congregation. And all I wanted to do was go Bama on him. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to win. I wanted to prove how wrong he was. And I grieved. Sad story is he ended up passing away. Over the last three years, he passed away. And I still drive by his street in Ridgewood. There was never, ever reconciliation. And every time I drive by his house, there's this, oh, and it's true. You go to a funeral and you have three days to grieve those that you love most. Every time I do a funeral, I say in two weeks, you need to reach out to that person because that's when the pain kicks in. You know, in scripture, you have months, you have a year to, to really deal with your stuff. And yet we never create space to deal with our stuff, whether it's things that are done against us or things we do against ourselves and others. Because true lamenting is dealing with all of our stuff. So how do we lament? How do we learn to lament? First, it's recognizing who we are in the midst of our circumstance. It's recognizing who we are in the midst of our circumstance. When you read Psalm 86, this is a word that you see all the time. Mercy. Mercy. Have mercy on me because of your great mercy. And then at the, at the end of it again, he brings up the word mercy three different times. David is calling out to God in prayer using a word that simply means this. Do for me that I am incapable of accomplishing. That's what mercy is, Right? The love of Jesus, the mercy of God. Blessed are the merciful. 
Those who step into someone else's life who's willing to do something for someone else, they are incapable of ever doing for themselves. And in this situation, David is saying, have mercy on those who are after me. Have mercy in my relationships with others. Because what David is lamenting is he's lamenting the pain of what others are doing to him that's causing him to be in a place of conflict. A conflict that seemed that it could never be made right. And the first thing that we need to do with lamenting is understanding, like, there are things in our lives, yes, even though we live in Bergen County, New Jersey, there are things in our life we are incapable of accomplishing on our own. What is that for you? Is there something that you've had such great sorrow that you've kind of put it away because all you've done is try to handle it yourself and God's saying, stop. Grieve what you were unable to accomplish. That's what lamenting is. Grieve what you are unable to accomplish in yourself. Grieve those areas that, that you have caused such pain to yourself or to others that only God can step in and do the miraculous. Grieve those choices that were done to you or that you have done even in a financial way that only God can get you out of that pit. And he says, have mercy. Do what only you can do. I, I love what David says. He says this, he says, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. When you read all of Scripture, there are three poignant times that this same phrase is used. David uses it twice, and Peter uses it once in his apostle. In your great mercy, have compassion. In all of our lamenting, all of our pain, all of our sorrow begins with recognizing that only God can rescue us from certain situations. Look what Paul said. Paul said that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you are living for the purposes that God has called you to, God will use all things, not some things, not a few things, not a couple things, but he will use all things to work together for the good of your life, because your life brings glory to God. Think about that. Think about that. Let me tell you about this week. We had $3,000 worth of plumbing issues. Our living room ceiling fell through because our pipes were so backed up for 20 hours they were trying to unclog a drain. 20 hours. Two different companies. They're on the roof with a jet trying to shoot it out, and then it's shooting through the living room. Right? That was a fun day. That was a great day. 
And then they finish the job, and the new guy on the job, the, the boss's son, drops the little thing in the bathtub that kind of stops the water from, from going down. So I had to call him back, and he had to come back Thursday. And Sue was crying, and I wanted to cry. And I was trying to do everything to not be the biggest jerk in the world to these plumbers. I was biting my tongue, scratching my leg, anything. And I said, Sue's like, we can't do the party. I'm like, I get it. Deep breath. Next thing you know, Debbie, our neighbor, texts us and says, hey, I'm looking so forward to coming over on Friday. And Sue goes, yes, we are so excited to have you. I'm like, what just happened? You see, God, I'm going to ring this dumbbell. God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Nothing stopping the Parkers. No clogged pipe. No stuff all over our couches because God has called us to something and the enemy was defeated on Friday night when my neighbors hung around the campfire and talked for four hours. Rob didn't preach. Rob didn't do anything. He just was Rob. Turned on some James Taylor. Didn't do Carol King. Some James Taylor. Everyone brought an appetizer. Everyone brought a dessert and we just loved the people. Willie, who's never been to anyone's house on the street, showed up with the greatest cookies in the world. And he felt loved and appreciated. You see, when we embrace what God is up to, we see that all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our situations, all of our circumstances, God will turn to good. Let's keep reading, and let's go back to the middle of the psalm. Verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you with all my heart. I praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give you glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. How do we lament? One, we recognize that there are situations that only God can step into. Two, we need to live in a place of humility. And like David, the greatest leader probably our world has ever seen, he says, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. He recognized that his truth was not working. And we live in a world right now where, where this world's truth is not working. And David was allowing this situation to be a Kairos moment. A moment where he had to ask God, who are you and who am I in light of this situation? He was having a divine moment when he was asking God, who are you really and who am I in this situation? And he, when he recognized how often Psalm 86, this is 86 psalms into all of the writings over the past many many years he's seen god's faithfulness god's faithfulness sorrow pain celebration joy excitement how god always shows up and he says teach me your ways O lord that i may live according to who your truth my truth my truth someone else tells me their truth i swear i may lose my job Right? Everyone's got their truth. That's called lowercase t. What David is speaking to is capital T. The truth. 
And what I love about this psalm, and when you take the Hebrew and you take the Greek, and you begin to really dissect them, you say, okay, so is this the truth that the Holy Spirit just kind of like, boop, drops in my mind? And hopefully it works out. No, the truth that David is speaking to is he, he's talking about the Torah. The Torah. As I read the Torah, the logos of God, the rhema, the spirit of God is going to connect the dots so that in every situation that I walk into, every situation I walk into, God will give me direction. You see, this is how the spirit of God works. Through his word and through his presence. And neither contradict each other. Neither contradict each other. Let me say that again. Neither contradicts each other. The word of God, the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the word of God. And David says, allow your Torah to show me. Because there are times in our life our emotions are all so messed up I'm going to the word and I'm trusting the spirit is in the word and it's going to say some things I really don't like but I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting right here. Have you put yourself in a situation that when you are grieving when you are in a place that in loss in pain in sorrow that you actually just say God I can't get through this. I have been able to pray for a lot of people who had a lot of healings. A lot. We have seen infertility healed. We have seen cancer go away. I just talked to a parent yesterday. Said to me, hey, just talked to my child's counselor. I asked them if they're still cutting. And the counselor said, your child doesn't cut in three months. And that parent said to me, do you know when three months ago was? Is when we prayed through that, my house and anointed it. Me, the parent, and his best friend took over an hour and 45 minutes and walked through the whole house and prayed against all the evil that was attacking this child. And that child has not cut in three months. That's the power of God. Right? That's the power of God. And so, I trust what God is up to. Because what he's done in the past, he's going to do in the future. Matter of fact, what the past tells me is that God is only up to something even better and more. How awesome is that? He says, teach me. Use your word. That's all I can sit on right now. And some of you need to get your face in the word of God because that's exactly what needs to be speaking to you right now. Just because it's summertime doesn't mean your crises have gone away. Too often, people wait till September to deal with their stuff. I get phone calls every September. Hey, Rob, my marriage is falling apart. I'm in financial catastrophe. I'm like, when did it begin? It began two years ago. Why didn't we talk this summer? Because I was on vacation. <laughs> Dude, there's a problem there, right? You're not dealing with your lament. And then he says, grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. The number one target of Jesus is this. It's your heart. That's it. Jesus doesn't care about your house. 
doesn't care about your car. He doesn't care about the cruise you're going to go on this summer. All Jesus cares about is your heart. And here's what David understood. And i got to hurry up because we've got to baptize a couple people. He says this, the heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our hearts are messed up. First word, first word we all said, let's not blame our children, let's blame ourselves. The first word we all said was, no, no. Not dad, you're the greatest in the whole world. It was no. He also knew this, that his son wrote, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How does the Bible de define the heart? Our emotional bank, don't let your hearts be troubled. Our intellect, why do you question this in your heart? Your will, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to, to them by the king. And I love what David says in Psalm 119. He says this to his son. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying the word, your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That poor plumber had no idea what was going to happen in the next two days because all I did is give him Jesus. My pipes are broken. I'm doing my job. And we had the most amazing conversations because in that situation, all I wanted to do was yell and scream and run away. And Jesus says, there is a young man right in front of you. How are you going to love that dude? And Aldo became my buddy. Aldo became my buddy. Too often in conflict, this is, I just want to read what I wrote. Too often in conflict, grief or pain, I don't ask God to work in me. I don't ask God to work in me my grief and pain. Rather, my heart, my emotions, my intellect and will goes to a place of retaliation and rationalization. I admit it. Too often, my heart, my will, my intellect, my emotions want to retaliate rather than reconcile what's happening for what God is doing in my life. Every pain we walk through, Jesus is saying, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this, Rob. And it's going to be good. And I've been working on lamenting. Because we all have a lot to lament. We all will go through pain and sorrow. One of us will go before the other unless we go together. And if I don't learn to lament and grieve properly, I will fall apart. Or she will fall apart. What about our children? All the things they're going to go through. The way I lament is the way my children lament. I want to challenge you. Humble yourself in your pain. Humble yourself in your loss. I want to challenge you. Let God teach you how to rescue you, how to guide you. Let God say, every hard thing you will ever go through in this life, I will use for good. And that's what I love about baptism. 
I love that my greatest day was my worst day. Because when we come to the waters of baptism, we are saying, God, we have grieved our old self that kept us from you. And I am going into the waters of baptism to say, my grieving is done. Amen? My grieving is done. In other words, I'm not afraid to tell the world who Jesus is. Because when you are publicly baptized, you are saying all shame, all guilt, all pride, all ego are pushed away. And I'm going to stand up in front of my church and I'm going to say, you know what? I am done grieving the old me. And today I am celebrating what God is up to next. Amen? How awesome is that? And today, and I'm going to keep this up here all summer long. I don't care if no one gets baptized next week. There are people in this room right now, online, you online, need to come from wherever you are and get here so I can dunk you, right? Because you need to grieve your past and saying, today I am made new in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Let's close this sermon up and let's celebrate. Jesus I thank you for this passage. And I thank you over the last several years how you have taught me how to grieve. God, I've been bad at it. I've set a poor example. Just because tears come out of my eyes, it doesn't mean that I fully allowed you to take me to that deeper place where healing is really done. But God, as I've already shared with you in the past, you are going to teach me to lament like I never thought I could lament, so that your best will be done in my life. And this morning, there's someone here, Holy Spirit, who needs to learn to grieve, to lament. Today, let today be day one. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.